So the White House told Noah, President Trump decides the weather now. The lead starts right now. Breaking news, brand new CNN 2020 polls debuting in minutes on the lead, showing a tightening race for the Democratic presidential nomination. And the top issue may be just who is best to show President Trump the door. Assault on the truth again. CNN now learning that the White House played a direct role in leaning on forecasters to cover for the president's lie about Hurricane Dorian in Alabama as the killer hurricane threatened other parts of the U.S. Plus, with a link to deaths and a pattern of targeting children, e-cigarettes under fire today. The Trump White House now looking for a partial ban after vaping-related illnesses claim another life. Welcome to The Lead. I'm Jake Tapper. We start with the politics lead. The Washington Post reporting this afternoon that it was, in fact, President Trump who instructed his staff to order the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration, or NOAA, to uncontradict the president's false forecast two Sundays ago that Hurricane Dorian was about to hit Alabama much harder than anticipated. Information from the president that was inaccurate and outdated and quickly corrected by the National Weather Service. The New York Times has reported that after talking to the acting White House chief of staff, Mick Mulvaney, Commerce Secretary Wilbur Ross, whose department oversees NOAA, threatened NOAA leaders with firings if they did not fix the contradiction. Now, President Trump has always had a tenuous relationship with facts and truth. And sometimes these are fringe, even racist beliefs, such as his campaign to suggest the first African-American president was born in Africa or his ridiculous claim that he saw on TV thousands of Arab Americans in New Jersey celebrating 9-11. Those are claims that are inaccurate and bigoted and indecent. There are too many to go through, but we all remember, of course, that his campaign, or I'm sorry, his presidency began when he took issue when the National Park Service clearly demonstrated that his inaugural crowds were smaller than that of his predecessor. But this This is something else. The president is now using, ordering the U.S. government, not just his press secretaries, but the U.S. government to further his falsehoods. When Noah put out a statement siding with the president over its own scientists last Friday, that was not merely the latest example of the president's disdain for facts that he does not like. As Assistant Noah Administrator Craig McLean put it in a letter to Noah employees, quote, An unsigned press release from NOAA that inappropriately and incorrectly contradicted the National Weather Service forecaster was not based on science, but on external factors, including reputation and appearance, or simply put, political. Craig wrote that that press release, quote, compromises the ability of NOAA to convey life-saving information necessary to avoid substantial and specific danger to public health and safety. If the public cannot trust our information, he wrote, or we debase our forecasters' warnings and products, that specific danger arises, unquote. And it is a danger being caused by President Trump. As CNN's Caitlin Collins now reports, the president today is denying all of this. No, I never did that. 
I never did that. President Trump denying he was involved in White House efforts to clear his name after he falsely and repeatedly claimed Alabama was in the path of Hurricane Dorian. The New York Times reports his chief of staff directed Commerce Secretary Wilbur Ross to have NOAA issue a statement disputing the National Weather Service after it contradicted the president, which NOAA did, but with no name attached. As Trump claims he was right about the weather, he's also insisting he fired John Bolton. And he sat right in that chair. And I told him, John, I wish you well, but I'd like you to submit your resignation. The president still blames his hawkish former national security advisor for interfering in talks with North Korea. When he talked about the Libyan model for Kim Jong-un, that was not a good statement to make. You just take a look at what happened with Gaddafi. The Libyan leader was overthrown and killed shortly after agreeing to give up his nuclear ambitions. And the North Koreans were offended after Bolton said this last year. I think we're looking at the Libya model of 2003-2004. The president was furious at the time. And I don't blame Kim Jong-un for what he said after that. But he kept Bolton around for another 16 months until abruptly firing him yesterday. He made some very big mistakes. No prior president has ever had four national security advisors in their first three years. But Trump will name his in a matter of days. But there are five people that I consider very highly qualified. His last meeting with Bolton turned into a bitter fight over his decision to invite leaders of the Taliban to Camp David. Talks Trump brought up at the Pentagon today as he marked the 18th anniversary of the 9-11 attacks. I called them off when I learned that they had killed a great American soldier from Puerto Rico. Though he left out where he planned to host them. Now, Jake, during that same Oval Office appearance, the president sounded open to the idea of easing sanctions on Iran to secure a meeting with them, saying, quote, we'll see what happens. If he did that, it would make a pretty big change in his maximum pressure strategy with Iran, something that John Bolton would have opposed. All right, Caitlin Collins at the White House, thanks so much. Uh, Let's chew over all this. Watch, let me start with you. Um, So the Washington Post is reporting that President Trump complained about the Alabama tweet from the National Weather Service, the accurate one contradicting his inaccurate one, as was evidence on his Twitter feed. Uh, What do you make of all this? The idea that the president is actually willing to, the the lengths he's willing to go to have the National Weather Service uncontradict him. Well, his attorney, Rudy Giuliani, said truth isn't truth. And if you're a dictator in the Middle East, you're looking at Donald Trump right now saying, Right on, my fellow, right on. Because if the weather is now being weaponized to protect the vain integrity of Donald Trump and his narcissism, you have to wonder, what else is he lying about? The fact that he's been lying about it for a week. He took out that map, that outdated map, added on Alabama with the Sharpie, right? Hashtag SharpieGate. At first we laughed, but the second time we have to think about it, people rely on the weather. National security relies upon the weather. Businesses rely on the weather. And imagine this hurricane that has devastated the Bahamas. And you're sitting in Alabama. You're like, wait a second. Birmingham just said, I'm safe. Now Trump, my president, is saying this is going to attack us. Oh, wait. Now Trump is doubling down. Oh, wait. Now there's Sharpie Gate. Who do I trust? And I just want to bring it back to this point. Vladimir Putin did a social media disinformation campaign. And what they want to do is make us lose trust in our institutions Mm. and make us lose trust in our democracy. And who better is helping him right now than President Trump with Sharpiegate. That's the big picture. And that's the fear uh, at NOAA, is that if people stop believing their forecasts because of this, people actually could lose their lives. Yeah, that's the bottom line, is if, and look, obviously an improper to 
to pressure any government agency to make that change. Uh, but if it is something that is possible to ch- cause harm to people in harm's way, uh, we're in bad shape. It's, it's obviously wrong. Um, President Trump denied the report that he told his chief of staff, Mick Mulvaney, to tell Noah to disavow those forecasters who said Alabama was not in Hurricane Dorian's path. But this also comes at a time when we have a new poll showing that 71 percent of the American people don't trust most of what they hear from the White House. Well, uh, look, I think we're used to it. Uh, Look, I'm supportive of President Trump's policies. And I think those the people who support Trump agree with most of his policies. They may not like his style. They may not like uh, his uh, uh, the things that he says uh, when he says things that are not true. Uh, But they still like his policies. I'm not going to defend his uh, comments about the uh, storm heading towards Alabama. I agree with what you just said. But at the end of the day, uh, when it comes to voting, people are going to look at policy and they're going to look at the alternative. And there is a foreign policy implication to this, as Waj suggested. Let's turn to Iran for a second. This is one of the big uh, disagreements between President Trump and John Bolton, his national security advisor, no more. Um, President Trump was asked about a potential meeting uh, with Iran's leader at the U.N. later this month. And this is what he had to say. Mr. President, are you looking at arranging a meeting with Iranian President Rouhani at UNGA? I'm not looking at anything. That's the U.N. General Assembly later this month. But that is not what Secretary of State Mike Pompeo said on this very question just 24 hours ago. Listen. Can you foresee a meeting between President Trump and the Iranian leader later this month surrounding the United Nations? Sure. Would the president support that and do you support that action? The president's made very clear he's prepared to meet with no preconditions. And this is a, you know, a pattern we have seen over and over and over again, where Trump says one thing, his staff will say another thing, and we go back and forth for several days, and probably in a couple days we'll find out that what the truth actually was. But, you know, Jake, so on something like that, and then going back to this question about Noah, right, now we're seeing that his lies, there are real costs to the lies, right? It was sort of ridiculous when, as you pointed out in the beginning, it was crowd sizes, and right? That's, that's silly, but okay. But now we're talking about things that could really endanger people's lives. And I would also add, as we know uh, from Jim Shuto earlier this week, there's some question about the president's ability to uh, determine when he shouldn't say certain things, right, in in some of the meetings that he's had with the Russians. So maybe he was not supposed to say that he was meeting with the Iranians. Maybe he was supposed to say he was meeting with the Iranians. Who knows what's actually true? All right, everyone stick around. Our next guest is one of the senators trying to get answers about President Trump's war on the truth when it comes to Noah. And then we have some breaking news, a new CNN poll on the 2020 race. And only three of the Democratic candidates are in double digits. What this might mean for the Democratic nomination. Stay with us. And welcome back. CNN has confirmed the New York Times story that President Trump's chief of staff, Mick Mulvaney, got involved in handling the fallout from President Trump's inaccurate and outdated tweet about Hurricane Dorian about to hit Alabama harder than anticipated. A White House official telling CNN that Mulvaney spoke with Commerce Secretary Wilbur Ross. Ross subsequently threatened to fire officials at NOAA if the agency did not disavow National Weather Service forecasters who contradicted the president's claim, according to The New York Times. This afternoon, the president denied knowing anything about the story. Ross denies he threatened to fire anyone at NOAA. Joining me now is Democratic Senator Maisie Hirono of Hawaii. Uh, Senator, uh, your reaction to President Trump's comments today and the news that the White House was directly involved. Once again, how can you trust anything that comes out of this White House? Because you have a president who lies every single day. And on something like this, this is serious business when you're predicting that a state might get hit by a very big hurricane. 
this is not uh, any time to be fooling around. And so it could have ended if the president said, whoops, and they move on. But no, they create this entire drama around trying to make the president look good. And th this is par for the course for this administration. And you have the Commerce Secretary calling the head of NOAA from Greece, no less, telling him, you better fix this, and they, which led to their statement. Um, and now the chief scientist at NOAA very much disagrees with this uh, basically not relying on science and facts as to where a hurricane is going to hit, and he wants to do his own investigation. So the chaos continues, and by the way, Mulvaney, who I, I think is at the heart of a lot of this, aside from, and Mulvaney is very much uh, oriented toward uh, protecting the president, being a yes person to the president at, uh, at every turn. Mm -hmm. But Mulvaney is the same guy who, when the U.S. Department of Agriculture, for example, began to move some of their researchers and scientists to the West Coast where they don't want to be, said, this is a really good way to get some of them to retire, which is a good thing. No, it is not a good thing when the scientists and the people who are actually doing the, the fundamental work of these departments retire mm -hmm. because of this kind of shenanigans. So, you know, that's when I call on Mulvaney to resign, and I renew my call for him to resign. So, Senator, you're part of a group of Democratic senators demanding answers from the Department of Commerce's Inspector General about whether Secretary Ross pressured NOAA uh, to back the president. What specifically do you want the Inspector General to do and, and uncover? I want the Inspector General to uh, tell us whether or not there was undue political influence or whether these kinds of actions were based on a political, um, <laughs> political, politically driven as opposed to um, something that's fact-based. I would say that the conclusion is pretty clear, but when you start threatening people with being fired if they don't do what Ross wants, then you, you create a situation where you need to get to the bottom of it, and that's why I led this letter, signed on by quite a number of my colleagues in the Senate. NOAA's acting chief scientist, uh, Greg McLean, said that he's investigating why NOAA's leadership backed Trump's false claims against what the scientists were saying, and he's looking at whether NOAA's scientific integrity was violated. Have you spoken to Mr. McLean at all? No, but I certainly share his concern, and so uh, that's part of the, what I would like the Inspector General to determine whether or not the, this, this kind of response to what the President did uh, is unwarranted, and in fact, it, it compromises NOAA to a very great extent. It compromises the, the Weather Service and the science that should be behind their information that they impart to the public. You know, Hawaii has been hit by hurricanes before. We had a huge one in 1992, Hurricane Iniki, and we're still recovering from some of that. So this is serious business when you start changing maps to indicate that a hurricane is going to hit a state. All right, Democratic Senator Maisie Hirono of Hawaii, thank you so much. Always good to have you, you on. Thank you. Some breaking news now. New CNN polls on the 2020 race, and the one thing that potential Democratic voters all seem to agree on. Stay with us. We're back with breaking news, a brand new CNN national poll on support for the 2020 Democratic presidential candidates on the eve of the third debate of the primary season in Houston, Texas tomorrow. Among potential Democratic voters, Joe Biden remains in the lead in this poll at 24 percent, followed by a virtual tie between Senator Elizabeth Warren at 18 percent and Senator Bernie Sanders with 17 percent. Those three are the only three candidates with double digit support. So only three others have 5% support or more. Senator Kamala Harris with 8%, Mayor Pete Buttigieg at 6%, and former Congressman Beto O'Rourke at 5 The margin of error 
is 4.3 percentage points. Compared to CNN's poll in August, Biden is down a little bit while everyone else is up a little bit. CNN political director David Chalian joins me now. And David, where are the candidates, the leading candidates, getting their support from? Who are their voters? Well, Jake, that Biden lead is being powered in large part, if not entirely, by African-American voters. Take a look at how African-Americans split with this field. Again, among Democratic African-American voters, Biden gets 42 percent. You see Sanders at 12, Warren at 10. I mean, he's got a 30 point lead with these voters on that score. Take a look at Hispanic voters. It's Sanders who comes out numerically ahead here at 24, Biden at 18, O'Rourke at 14, and you see uh, Warren and Harris rounding out the top five among Hispanics. And if you look at white voters among Democrats here, Warren and Biden are basically splitting it. 23% for Warren, 21% for Biden, then Sanders at 15. So those African-American voters are critical for Joe Biden. We've seen uh, Democratic voters say in polls that electability is more important to them than finding a candidate they agree with on most issues. Uh, What does this poll show about who they think is most electable? Yeah, that is a majority position for Democrats, Jake. 55%, if you look here, of Democrats say the strong chance of beating Donald Trump is what they're looking for in a candidate. Just 39% say they're looking for somebody who shares their position on the issues. Among that 55%, the the ones who want a Trump defeater, if you will, take a look at this. Elizabeth Warren on the rise. Last month among this group, she was at 15. Now she's all the way up at 21. You see that Joe Biden is on the decline here and Bernie Sanders a little bit on the decline. Uh, This is really important. Elizabeth Warren making some strides, Jake, on the electability score. And one other note in this poll that I want to show you is about voter enthusiasm. Look at this. 45% of Democrats now tell us they are extremely enthusiastic about voting in this election. Compare that to the four most recent presidential elections at this cycle. It's not even close, Jake. And I will just note, if you take that group, the extremely enthusiastic, that 45%, they split about evenly between the parties. Actually, a slight little edge for Republicans there. So it doesn't matter what side of the aisle you are on. Voters are charged up for this presidential election, Jake. So looking at this poll, where is the state of the race right now? Yeah, I mean, I think that Joe Biden's coalition is proving to be quite durable so far. African-American voters, uh, people who identify as moderate or conservative uh, Democrats, older voters. These are sizable chunks. They are critical to Joe Biden's success right now, and they've proved durable thus far. So we've seen now Elizabeth Warren make strides on electability. I think the thing to look for next is... Does Elizabeth Warren or other candidates make some strides into those Biden groups, African-Americans, older voters and those moderate conservative Democrats? Interesting. David Chalian, thanks so much. Let's chew over all this. Go around the table. Karen, if you're advising Bernie Sanders or Elizabeth Warren right now, what would you tell them given this poll? I would tell them you got to keep making the argument that you are the person who can beat Trump, because clearly that is the most important thing to Democratic voters. This next several months, this across this fall and the various debates, this is your best opportunity in front of the national audience to make your case why you're the one. And certainly for Warren, it's really interesting to see that movement um, because as much as I hate to say it, obviously for women candidates, mm. that in a, when you're running for executive office, it's a lot harder to make that case. 
Very interesting to, that Biden has gone down in the electability view for, among Democrats and Warren has gone up. Why do you think that is? Not surprising to me. I am always critical of the electability argument because electability is coded language for straight white man who appeals to the Rust Belt voter. And I'm old enough to remember that we voted for our Muslim brother, the radical Kenyan socialist Barack Hussein Obama, who won two popular votes. Let's remember, let, let the record reflect you're being sarcastic. Yes, I'm being very sarcastic. Yes, I'm glad in this day and age I actually have to say that. So I would say, look, Warren is rising and all of these candidates, Biden, Warren, Sanders, Buttigieg, uh, Harris, if you look at the latest poll, all of them are beating Trump a year before the election. So keep at it. But also, I will say this. You will not win the Democratic candidacy without winning the black vote. If you are Sanders or if you are Warren, about a third of black women, according to the latest poll, are undecided. Court black women. If you win black women, you're going to get the candidacy. And Alfonso, if you're in the White House, is Biden still the one you're fearing the most? That's that's traditionally what the Trump people have said. Certainly. I mean, if he's somebody that can appeal to uh, more moderate voters, uh, so certainly they're looking at his numbers. But uh, as, as has been said, I mean, Warren is is going up. However, I, I should say that even though the majority of Democratic voters are saying that the elect- electability is the number one factor for them, if you look at the numbers and you add Warren and Sanders numbers, it's 35 percent. Uh, they have 35 percent for the more leftist candidates who, from my perspective, are not uh, very electable uh, uh, in a race against Donald Trump. The other thing, the Hispanic voters, very interesting. Uh, Julian Castro is not top five. It shows that Hispanics are not going to support a candidate just because they're Hispanic, nor because they only talk about immigration. They want to hear about other issues, health care, edu- uh, education, the economy. And Sa- Sanders and Biden are definitely talking about those. And things. that goes for all people of color. Yes. yes. Yeah. Interesting. And what, what do you make? Do you, yeah. do you still think Biden is the biggest threat to Trump? Well, or? I'm struck, first of all, by how much bad news for Harris there is in this, mm. because she's had some yeah. really high profile good moments on the debate stage, which you would think would would uh, make her rise here and and yet have not. Warren, obviously, on the right trajectory. I think the concern, as you note, uh, among black voters here for Warren or Sanders or anyone who wants to rise um, is Barack Obama had this real watershed moment. He was a very alluring candidate. And yet people thought, okay, well, he's untested. I'm not really sure. But there was a moment where people went, oh, my gosh, we can really get there. Mm. I'm not sure I see a similar moment happening for a Warren or Harris. It could. um, But how do you build that? It's, a, it's a tough call. The thing to point out, though, is that that was actually a shift with black voters, right? That's black voters needed yeah, to yeah. see that he could win in Iowa among white voters. Right. I mean, I saw it with my own right. father, who didn't believe it until after that. And that was a huge moment. So you're right. The question is, where is that moment going to come? And again, perhaps it will come on a debate stage. And again, it will come as in this argument about who can stand up to Trump. If, the other thing I would advise these candidates is, Reframe what it is to take on Donald Trump in 2020 versus 2016. It's not the same. We now have three years, almost four, right, of his presidency to prosecute a case against him and between the lies, between, you know, between his policies. Mm. So make the argument and make your case. Why are you the one that can get up on a stage against him and, and win? And watch uh, an advisor to Biden tell CNN that Biden is expected at the, at the debate tomorrow night to argue the Democrats should choose a nominee that's able to offer, quote, more than plans. That seems to be a, a direct slap at Elizabeth Warren, who, you know, I have a plan for that. I have a plan for that. Uh, how do you think uh, that will go over? Uh, probably not so well, because people want plans. People are paying attention to health care. People are paying attention to immigration. People are paying attention to gun control. That's the number one issue, according to the latest polls of them. So you want to come out and have a plan. And that's what Elizabeth Warren has done. She has been very brilliant at communicating policy at a high level to average Americans. She even went to West Virginia, 
red Trump country, won over some Trump voters taking on the opioid crisis and saying, I have a plan. What Biden says in his posturing is this type of arrogance is, I'm just going to walk in on the coattails of Barack Hussein Obama. I'm Biden. You trust me. Give me the nomination. And you're seeing that he's going to have to work for it and he's going to have to earn it. And if you look at the shift, mm, Warren's rising. Well, I think they also don't know if you beat Trump with plans or if you beat him with rhetoric. That's That's an open question. That's exactly right. And I I don't think anybody knows which way to go. Which Democrat do you think is the most effective uh, when it comes to rhetoric? I know you're a Trump supporter, but which which Democrat do you see as like, ooh, that's a really good message? election is certainly Joe Biden. I think in terms of the primary, I think Warren is doing a very good job. That's the point of the primary. You have to energize your base. You have to talk about ideas. I think Biden looks pretty weak. It kind of reminds me of Jeb Bush three years ago. Just if the only argument you have in your favor is electability, you, you, you're coming across as, as yeah. a very weak candidate. And we all remember Barack Obama was not electable, Donald Trump was not electable, <laughs> and so on. Thanks, everyone. Six deaths and hundreds others suffering from mysterious illnesses related to vaping. One teenager's near-death experience as President Trump vows to take action. Next. Big news in our health lead. The Trump administration is preparing to ban most flavored e-cigarettes, an announcement that the president made in the Oval Office today during a meeting on the growing vaping crisis in the United States. The president seems to be focusing on the use of flavored e-cigarettes by children as state and federal health officials try to also figure out what's behind six confirmed deaths and 450 reports of lung illnesses linked to vaping. CNN's Elizabeth Cohen has a story of one 16-year-old who's vaping Almost cost him his life. My lungs were that of a 70-year-old's. Adam Hergenritter started vaping when he was 16. A year and a half later, he landed in the intensive care unit, his doctor said, because of vaping. I had the shivers, and, it, and, it, and I couldn't control it, so I would just randomly convulge, and, and it was really scary. I knew it wasn't a stroke, but it felt like that because I couldn't control myself. Initially, Adam thought it was the stomach flu. But after days of nausea and vomiting, he ended up at Advocate Condell Medical Center in Libertyville, Illinois. To know that my son's lungs, 18 years old, healthy, an athlete, typical 18-year-old boy, to be laying in a bed um, and not being able to breathe. um, And it's, it's it's every parent's nightmare. Adam first started vaping nicotine and then went on to marijuana. So I first started vaping just to fit in because everyone else was doing it. By the time he got to the hospital, he was severely ill. If his mom had not brought him to the hospital within the next two to three days, his breathing could have worsened to the point that he could have died if he didn't seek medical care. Adam is one of more than 450 possible cases of vaping-related illnesses around the country, according to the CDC. But Adam is also one of the lucky ones. There have been six deaths in California, Illinois, Indiana, Minnesota, Oregon, and Kansas. And the biggest mystery? No one knows exactly what ingredients in e-cigarettes are causing the problems. And you can see the hazy white opacity throughout his lungs on both sides. So although we don't know for sure the exact nature of what's causing the opacity, it's assumed that related to his vaping. Until they figure it out, public health officials say don't vape. In a statement, the American Medical Association saying they urge the public to avoid the use of e-cigarette products. And Adam will continue to speak out in hopes that others will learn from him. If one person stops, hopefully everyone else stops.
While nearly all of these flavored vaping products will be banned, according to the Trump administration, companies like Juul will be able to apply to remarket them, to market them again. Advocates against smoking say they really hope the answer to those applications will be no. Jake? Elizabeth Cohen, thanks so much. The New England Patriots today dealing with a lot more than their next opponent. Their newest star is now facing rape allegations, and head coach Bill Belichick just talked about it. Stay with us. Breaking news now. Sources telling CNN that in recent weeks, prosecutors with the New York District Attorney's Office have interviewed Michael Cohen, President Trump's former fixer and personal attorney. The investigation is looking into whether the Trump organization broke any state laws by falsifying business records. CNN's Kara Scannell joins me now live with this exclusive reporting. Kara, what are you learning? Well, Jake, that's right. So investigators with the Manhattan District Attorney's Office last month, early last month, went to Otisville, the federal prison camp where Michael Cohen is serving a three-year prison sentence, and interviewed him there because they're investigating whether the Trump Organization violated any state laws relating to those hush money payments to women. One question that investigators are focusing on is whether the Trump Organization had falsified any business records, which could violate the state law. So they went last month, soon after they subpoenaed the Trump Organization and American Media, the publisher of the National Enquirer, uh, and interviewed Michael Cohen about this. Now, Cohen is one of many people that these state investigators will want to interview. Their investigation is in the early stages, and it began after federal prosecutors had closed their investigation in July. Uh, and that's the investigation that Michael Cohen had pleaded guilty to, where he implicated the president in this hush money payment scheme and why he's serving this three-year prison sentence. So this investigation, again, is in the early stages. A lawyer for the Trump Organization couldn't be reached for comment today, but he previously called this a political hit job. And it just shows that even as one investigation of surrounding the Trump family and the Trump Organization comes to an end, that others continue to pop up. So there's a lot of legal issues still swirling around the president, his business, and his family, Jake. All right, Karis, now thank you so much. Appreciate that reporting. In our sports league today, one of the NFL's top wide receivers, Antonio Brown, is being sued in federal court for sexual assault and rape. His former trainer, Brittany Taylor, is accusing him of multiple instances of sexual assault. The shocking news coming right after Brown signed with the New England Patriots. CNN's Jason Carroll has a story for us, and we must warn you, some of the details you're about to hear are rather graphic. When we know more, we'll say more. Embattled New England Patriots wide receiver Antonio Brown showed up for practice today, his future with the Patriots uncertain after allegations he sexually assaulted and raped his former trainer. Can you tell us all what Antonio Brown has said to you? Yeah, I mean, I'm done with that. Any other questions? According to a civil lawsuit filed Tuesday in federal court, Brown's former trainer, Brittany Taylor, alleges he sexually assaulted her first in 2017 when she says he exposed himself to her and then forcibly kissed her. Then, weeks later, she alleges Brown masturbated behind her while she watched a video at his home. The suit goes on to say that in 2018, Brown pinned her down on a bed and, as she struggled, he lifted her dress and told her, you know you want this. Miss Taylor pleaded with him, shouting no and stop, but Brown refused and proceeded with great violence to penetrate her. The next day, according to the suit, Taylor tried to confront Brown. 
He replied, you make me feel like a real rapist. Taylor releasing a statement saying in part, speaking out removes the shame that I have felt for the past year and places it on the person responsible for my rape. I will cooperate with the NFL and any other agencies. Today, Brown's agent denying the charges, saying his client will be cleared. Antonio and I uh, have been unfortunately anticipating uh, this possibility. Brown's attorney saying the two had a consensual relationship, adding Brown will pursue all legal remedies to not only clear his name, but to also protect other professional athletes against false accusations. The civil lawsuit coming at a tumultuous time for Brown. Just days ago, the Patriots signed Brown, hours after the Oakland Raiders dropped him amid weeks of public drama between Brown and Raiders management. Belichick refusing to say if his new wide receiver would play Sunday. We're taking it one day at a time, just like we always do. And Jake, that civil suit was filed in Florida and the Miami-Dade District Attorney's Office has come out with a statement today basically saying they're going to be checking into other law enforcement agencies to see if they've been contacted about Brown. And if so, they say that they would be very interested in those reports. Jake. All right, Jason Carroll in Massachusetts. Thanks so much. The unusual move by the Republican National Committee that could hurt Republicans running for Congress in 2020. That story's next. Welcome back to Politics. Our new, a new report in ProPublica details the very close connections between the Republican National Committee and the Trump campaign. And one detail in this profile of Brad Parscale, the Trump campaign manager, that could be incredibly critical for Republicans facing re-election in 2020. ProPublica reporting that the RNC is not going to provide data about how voters in certain congressional districts and states view President Trump. Data that used to be widely distributed, but isn't now over concerns by the Trump campaign, that those candidates could start to distance themselves from President Trump. This afternoon, the RNC confirmed to CNN the ProPublica report that they don't share that information, calling it proprietary. President Trump's campaign manager, Brad Parscale, called the ProPublica report stupid today on a call uh, with reporters. But let's talk about, we don't have to talk about the part that has to do with Brad, that he, I think he found uh, stupid or at least uh, unfortunate. Um, it is interesting, uh, Mary Catherine, that they are not going to let, let's, let's say you're a congressman running in a, in a district that's marginal, right. and you want to know, is Trump popular in my district or not, that they're not going to let you know. Yeah, so there's a couple uh, issues in the story. One, ethical, where it's like, it's sort of like, oh, well, this is old swamp meet the new swamp, right? right. It's a different kind of person that was brought in, very unconventional for an unconventional campaign. Um, two, efficacy. He was very effective. And like that's the thing that I, one of the things I took away from this is that uh, he does get a lot of credit he, and it may not be that he's a digital genius, but he did the thing he had to do, which was marry the RNC to this slapdash Trump operation and did a thing that nobody thought could be done. So he deserves some money and some cred for that. But then you get to this, which is the opposite. They're not going to be married this time. So you will not have the victories in a place like Ohio where uh, the senator outperformed the president because he won't have the information that he should have to know how he should position himself or how he should appeal to voters. So... Now you have the question of repetition. Can he do this again, which I think is an open question. And will he transfer it to other GOP candidates? And the answer seems to be, according to this, no. What's better for the Republican Party to share that information? This is basic political strategy. If you want to win <laughs> elections, you need to know the facts. So if you want to win over the House, you want to know if Trump is popular in a congressional district. It doesn't mean that the Republican candidate needs to 
blast Trump, criticize Trump, but it's good to have that information. At the end, it's going to help Trump. So for the life of me, I just don't understand it. But for Trump, right, it's an, it's an interesting insight into this is the part of the way they try to maintain control over Republicans and why we always keep talking about, you know, Republicans being afraid of the Trump base. Also, if you don't have the data, you don't know what you're up against. But, I mean, it's just common sense. And, and we saw Democrats do this when Obama was running for uh, what was on the ticket in 2012. Some Democrats had to distance themselves from Barack Obama, sure. say they disagreed with him, criticize him, yeah. not appear with him, not invite him. And Obama, I assume, well, you tell me, didn't care because he wanted to keep them in the he House. wanted them to win. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, it's lateral thinking. In order to win, you have to destroy your own party. Uh, and so it go, it's, a, it's a callback to the first story, right? In order to placate Trump, the truth isn't truth. And everything will be in service of Trump. Truth, facts, the weather, maps, and even the Republican Party. So, Waj, as long as we have you here, uh, I do want to tell our viewers, you may have noticed that one of our panelists, uh, uh, Wajahad Ali now has a shaved head. He did this because his three-year-old daughter, Nuseba, is battling stage four cancer. Uh, and Waj and his family are desperately searching for a liver donor, specifically one uh, with O blood type. And Waj, you and I have tweeted links uh, where people can apply to become a donor to save your daughter's life. Jake Tapper might be easier to spell, J-A-K-E-T-A-P-P-E-R. Uh, <laughs> but you're on there, too. Um, and uh, you have the information pinned, and I have the information pinned on our Twitter accounts. Yes, my three-year-old daughter, Nuseba, we named her after a warrior princess. She's bravely enduring the struggle. Thanks to everyone. Thanks to you, Jake, for taking the time out of your show. Thanks to everyone at the CNN family, the hosts, producers, the makeup stylists. And I just want to say one final thing. We, we, we discuss politics. It's a heated time. But this people's outreach and people just messaging me and people, uh, you know, trying to be donors, it just reveals that most of us inherently are decent people wanting to do good. So it restores our faith in the collective humanity. And thanks to everyone for helping my family. I saw a nice tweet from somebody saying, would she be okay with a conservative liver? (laughs) And livers are bipartisan. Livers are bipartisan. So best of luck. And I hope somebody watching uh, looks into this and and, uh, agrees to to donate. You can follow me on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, at Jake Tapper. Tweet the show at DeleteCNN. Our coverage on CNN continues right now. Thanks for watching. Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Now streaming exclusively on Max, a new CNN flash talk about the album that has Nashville talking, Call Me Country, Beyonce and Nashville's Renaissance. Watch it at max.com slash callmecountry. Max subscription required.